everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Happy Mother's Day, y'all! Mom, you have a mom. We all have moms. This is not going to be a Dr. Seuss day, but hey, moms are awesome. Uh, if you're a mom that's here, I just want you to know, we're, we're in this series on Matthew. Today, we're talking about Christmas. And if there's a book of the Bible that can speak to Mary and motherhood and the beauty of all of that, it's not Matthew. It's not. It really, it's re- so I, I just want at the front end of this morning to call this out, that if you're a mom and if you're here and if you're at home watching at home or if you hear this long after the fact, um, on behalf of everybody here in the audience, including yourselves, we're really glad that we have moms because we wouldn't be here otherwise. Um, I also wanted to recognize one other thing, um, and this has been hitting a little bit close to home the more that I step into this particular role. For some of you, this is your first year without your mom. For some of you, this is a year that you were supposed to be a mom, but you're not. And for some of you, your relationship with your mom is the hardest relationship that you have. Um, if there's a book of the Bible that would address that kind of relationship or that kind of situation around your mom. I do think it's the book of Matthew. And so I I hope today is a comfort to you. But in all things, um, my mom, I I think it was my 13th birthday, so picture 13-year-old Zach. I was roughly the same size. Um, (laughs) January 2nd, so we're still in Christmas break. She calls, it's like morning time, and she's in her pajamas. She comes downstairs and she goes, Zach, come here. And I come sit next to her on the couch and she like lifts me up and puts me on her lap like this 13-year-old version of Zach. And she starts stroking my hair. And I'm like, I'm a teenage boy. Like, I'm like, this is the weird, get away from me, woman. Like, I don't know what's going on right now. And she goes, I remember the day you were born. (laughs) And I get this whole story. It was the blizzard of 1983. They didn't know if they'd be able to get to the hospital that morning because the walls of snow on the sides of the street were 40 feet high. Like, it was this amazing, epic tale of my birth. And, and epic tales of birth, like it's really important. Like I, I'm not that important of a person, but if you've got a king being born, the story of that birth, I mean, you can recall images of like Simba, right? Like Simba's born, the entire nation of the animals of Africa come and he's lifted up and there's, and there's a monkey singing and it's amazing. And, and you can recall like when Superman is born, it's, I mean, pretty wild circumstances, but he's got a dad who's like the leading scientist on the planet, and his mom, they changed the narrative in the 70s, and it turns out she's a military general. It's amazing. And they put him in a capsule, and he goes, and then he creates a solitude of fortress, and he remembers him all the time. But birth stories, especially with royalty, are really, really important stories. We want to capture those stories. And last week, you, you may have been coming last week. Emily, I, I was really jealous that Emily got to preach on the genealogy of Jesus. If you missed that one, the genogram and the things that come out of this genealogy story are fascinating. I mean, Matthew, Matthew is going to be talking about a king. He's trying to make a case for this King Jesus, this baby who's going to be born. But the line of people that he says, this is the family tree, like it, it couldn't have been more rough. And so as we jump into like, okay, what happens after that this morning, there should be a sense for his reader in the original context that they'd be like, okay, that was weird. Let's get on with the story. Like, tell me the story of his birth. And so Matthew is now going to call his reader onto his lap and start stroking your hair. He's going to say, a long time ago, this is what happened. 
if we jump right in, I think there's, there's a couple things that Matthew's going to want us to see and pull out right away. Now, again, this is not, Matthew's not going to spend a lot of time on Mary. And he's actually not going to spend a lot of time on some things we would assume that he would or that he should. Read this with me, and, and let's just see. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. I would just love for you to think through, if you were writing about the birth of Jesus and what you know of Christmas and the whole thing, what would be the details that you would include? What would be the things you'd want to make sure that whoever you were passing it on to, if they'd never heard this story before, what do they need to know? And then as we read this, see if, see if Matthew's catching the same things that you would catch. It says this, Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged, had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Uh-oh. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public, public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. He said, Joseph, son of David, catch that son of David thing. He's pointing back to that genealogy. Really cool thing that Matthew's doing. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's weird. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And then he quotes Isaiah 7. He says, look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. If we pause right here in the story, if you go back to Isaiah 7 and you go, what actually is going on in Isaiah 7? This has far less to do with some prophetic vision of like, this will happen someday in the future. Matthew's pointing back to this story going, it's the ingredients around this story that are the most important. Because what's going on in Isaiah 7 is we have the situation where God's people are surrounded by enemy troops. They're without hope. They're preparing to get wiped out. And then through that phrase that we just read out of Isaiah 7, God says, I'll, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to come and be present amongst you. Don't forget that I'm right alongside you. And he offers his help. And he offers his help to people who are humble and who are helpless and who are needy and who are sick. So as Matthew's writing, one of the places where he goes, if you want to know about the story, as I'm telling you the story of Jesus' birth, he came in a time that was just like this other time, when you were surrounded by enemy troops, when it didn't look that good. And then he continues. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but he had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. Does this line up with how you would tell the story? Because that's kind of it. I mean, this is Matthew's telling of the birth of Jesus. What's missing? Right? Like, where, where are the shepherds? Where are the cattle lowing? There's not even a drummer boy. I mean, wh where are the details? We get all this backstory, Joseph's having dreams, and then right at the end, it just says, until she had born a son and he named him Jesus. He distills Christmas into like eight words. Matthew, like get in some Christmas spirit, pal. Like th that's it. That's all we're gonna get. Why? That's really strange. And, and the thing too is that he's not done. He, he's going to continue. There's, there's more that he wants to share, but we've now moved well past the Christmas story. Now there's other things that he wants to get into. Now, we're studying the book of Matthew, 
And there's things as we're in this series that I want to start painting in broad strokes and go, don't miss it. And there's some neon signs that should be popping out even of this first chunk that we've read together. The first is this. Luke cares a lot. Luke and his gospel cares a lot about the details. Luke's wanting to paint the foreground. Here's what's happening in the moment. It's in Luke where you're going to find, here's some shepherds. Here's some more details. Here's what it looked like where they were in the moment. Matthew just frankly doesn't care (laughs) that much about those details. He doesn't care about the foreground. Matthew is all about the background. When Matthew speaks of the birth of Jesus, he'll do it in seven verses, and that's what we just read together. But he really tucks it in right at the end of verse 25. Matthew will spend then 23 verses over three times as long telling you about the background of what's happening. Luke's going to tell you what the birth of Jesus is doing. Matthew wants you to know everything else going on behind the scenes. So what's that, and why is that so important to Matthew? If we want to keep reading behind the scenes, we're just going to keep reading then together. We're going to then jump to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, and here's what we find there. And again, this is how Matthew is trying to tee up his his reader for something really important. And here's how he continues the story. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where's the child who has been born the king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For you shall come, from you shall come a le- ruler who is to be my shepherd of my people Israel. Okay, pause there for a second because he's now quoting another Old Testament verse. And if you were to go back, this is now Micah 5, verse 2. What's the situation that Matthew's pointing back to? Well, this is going to be totally shocking, but it's a situation where God's people are surrounded by an enemy. They're without hope. They're just waiting to get wiped out. And then God promises them a king. And the point is that when this baby arrives, they will be in deep trouble and with a deep awareness of the fact that they need help, that they're humble, that they're helpless, that they're needy, that they're sick. As Matthew's telling this story to his audience, he's calling back to different points in history where he's going, don't forget we've been in a situation like this before. We're surrounded by enemy. We're waiting to get wiped out. But in this moment, I just want to remind us of what God's done before. Because what God does when we're surrounded like that is he promises that he'll just, he'll be with us in that situation. It's calling back to another, it's like the same story, but difference. Amazing. And it continues. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men, and he learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me words that I may go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They knelt down, they paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And the story continues. Joseph has this other dream. And it, it's, he's being told, you've got to get out of this place. This is not a safe place for you to be. So he takes his young family and they run to the country of Egypt, which is far away. 
And they stay there until they hear that Herod has died. Now, in the meantime, Herod realizes that he's been tricked, and he is furious. So he decides he's going to kill every baby. This is like the best Mother's Day story to be telling. He kills every baby under the age of two in Bethlehem. It's terrifying, infanticide. And, that, and I, I can't, just as anecdotally, I just can't imagine being Mary and knowing, like, I knew people there. And the reason why everybody else's babies are now gone is because of us from Egypt. Man, like, the, oh, that would just be really hard to wrestle with. Herod ends up dying. Joseph doesn't then go home just to Jerusalem, which is where we would expect him to go, but he goes up to the sticks. <laughs> he goes to this region called Nazareth, this city. It's like saying, I'm, I, I should go to Denver, but I'm just going to keep going to, like, northeast Wyoming. It's like, whoa, you're, like, really getting out of Dodge. You're, you're kind of hiding. That's, that's then how this story ends. It's a really bizarre story. 23 verses. Matthew's going to spend not talking about Christmas, but talking about what happened right after. It's all this background stuff. And man, there's, there's so much good stuff that happens as we talk about these wise men, where they came from, all this star stuff that's going on. It's amazing. We're not going to get into that today. Because I think what Matthew is drawing out for his reader, and we're going to see it over and over and over again as we study this book of Matthew, is that there's this idea of a king. I mean, you can hear it, even, even just in the first couple verses of chapter 2. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where's the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observe his star rising and have come to pay homage to him. When King Herod, Herod heard this, I mean, he just keeps driving king. If you've ever read pieces in the book of Matthew before, you're going to know that Matthew loves to use this phrase, kingdom of heaven. Kingship, kingdom, what's God's rule like? That's really important to Matthew, and he wants to make sure that his readers hear it. So walking right into the middle of the scene, we have these foreign guys, these, these magi, these wise men. They don't have a Bible with them. They're, they're just pagans, <laughs> but they're paying attention. Is there room in the, in the gospel, and is there room in our church, and room in Christianity for people who, they might not have the book or the text, but people who are paying attention and their eyes are just as locked on the God of the universe. Oh, I love that. But it's their question, I think, that Matthew goes, reader, pay attention. The question that they ask is, where's the king of the Jews? Now again, Matthew's painting the background. And so if we're paying attention to the background, this for us should be like, oh, no, he did it. Like that, he just went to King Herod. And King Herod's full title is King Herod, King of the Jews. And so when you're walking up to a guy and we're like, hey, did you have a baby? And he says, no, it's an awkward moment. Where's the king of the Jews? He should be in your palace because you're the king of the Jews. And if there's a new king of the Jews, because we saw a star, then you have a baby, right? No, I don't. What's this king of the Jew business that you're talking about? Because if it's not me, maybe you're looking for somebody else and I don't like this. This is, <laughs> I mean... Whoops, <laughs> you can just see it on the face. It's like, it's like when you see a woman and you're not sure if she's pregnant and you just ask and you know it's that moment distilled for these wise men. Like, oh, we're going to leave out and we'll be back never. Um, <laughs> it's actually how the story goes. Um, where's the king of the Jews? Matthew's original audience would be really struck by this question. Is this, is this him? They're holding the book of Matthew. 
Matthew's asking, where is the king of the Jews? And the original audience must in that moment have taken a second of pause to go, I wonder if I'm holding his story. Because Matthew must think that that's the case. It points to something deeper, too, which I love. What are you looking for? What's, what's driving you in life? If a godly king would ultimately embody God's character, that, that's what they're looking for, then what would that king be like? What would his kingdom be like? What would his character be like? And so again, for Matthew, he's going, let me paint for you the background of what's going on. We have a king of the Jews right now at the front of the story. His name is Herod. Herod took this title. Uh, It was geographically given to him. It it was placed on him because of power. And Herod ruled with an iron fist and a paranoid iron fist at that. This is a very evil human being. Uh, He ruled out of places of opulence and out of grandeur and power and domination and wealth and fear. Every Jewish person who knew their text knew that this was a mockery of what the real king of the Jews was supposed to look like. He needed to look more like somebody like King David, somebody that, who could reflect at least a little bit of what the Torah, what the Old Testament had always spoken about when it talked about this king of the Jews. One, and there's several, but one of the litmus tests is when we look at the foreigners, the immigrants, when we look at the orphans in our community, and when we look at the widows, are they taken care of? Are they comforted? If we have a real king of the Jews on our hands, the one that the Bible promised, yes, is the resounding answer. Those people are thought of, they are represented, they are cared for well, they are not exploited or shoved to the margins of society. King Herod didn't do that very well. We have immigrants and orphans and widows dying. And if they weren't already dead, they were about to be. We have a king who's killing babies. This king is an imposter. And he wants us to see that. If you have a legitimate king of the Jews on your hands, it's the marginalized of society who are cared for the most. They'll be celebrated just as much as anyone else. A legitimate king makes room for everybody at the table. It's not Herod. Now, there's one other thing that I I got this teaching from a guy named Ray Vanderlaan, um, and and there's some absolutely stunning things that Ray does looking at geography um, that will blow your mind, and I think this should be one of them. The first time I heard this, it was kind of like a no way type of a moment for me. But in 40 BC, roughly four decades before Jesus, Herod had, Herod had this stunning military victory, and the spot where he had that victory, he decided he was going to build a monument to always remember how awesome he was, right? And so Josephus, one of the historians at the time, wrote this. He says, it was built, uh, he built a town on the spot in commemoration of his victory and enhanced it with wonderful palaces. He called it the Herodian after himself. He builds this place that basically when you look at it, it's just supposed to remind you about Herod. Herod is awesome. Herod is powerful. Herod will kill you if you get in his way. Like that's, that's kind of the mantra that you would have when you look at this. He literally built a place where he could be king of the mountain. Now, I'm going to show you a picture of this in just a second, but what he did, there were a couple hills near the area where he wanted to do this, so he cut up one hill, stacked it on top of the second hill, and then built a palace on top of that. And this is in the middle of the desert, so there's some other really interesting things to know about this. It consisted of four towers. I mean, picture full-on medieval castle type of a thing. It's stunning what he did. 
He had bathhouses and courtyards. There was a Roman theater that he built. I mean, this is like the classic mansion with a movie theater inside. There were banquet rooms as well as extravagant living quarters, not only for himself, but many, many guests. He filled it with elaborate mosaics and frescoes. And in the middle of the desert, he engineered it with these enormous cisterns so that he would always have water. Which, I mean, it doesn't take much, especially as Denver people, to know, like, in the desert, water is gold. And he's hoarding it all in a mountain that he made. <laughs> like, this guy is on a next level. He literally is making an oasis in the desert, a paradise for himself, to boast that even he was above nature itself, that he was powerful enough to defy a desert. Here's a picture of what it would have looked like if you would have drawn it up. So big hill that he creates, I think the most magnificent thing is down below is where the city of Herodian would be. And it was just these lavish gardens, huge pools. I mean, opulent, opulent, opulent. Absolutely stunning. Um, now I'm going to show you a picture from the city right down the hill. And this is a modern day picture. Put that one up on the screen. So that's what it looks like today. The castle isn't really like... It's almost like a volcano, so you can now go down in the base of this volcano and you can still see all the stuff that's there. They're still doing some phenomenal archaeology. But this is what it looks like from a town nearby. And the name of that town is Bethlehem. If you were to jump on the website for visitor, the Visitor Information Center for Bethlehem, you could read this quote. No time to visit the Herodium? That's a pity, but you can see it from Bethlehem. The fortress is so close to Bethlehem that it really is visible from here. There are a couple of good observation points to see the ruins of the fortress. You could walk along Manger Street and look all the time to the right. Suddenly, you're going to reach a spot with few buildings along the street and a nice panorama on the Nativity Church and Bethlehem's old town will open. And look, there's the truncated volcano like a hill in the background. That's the Herodium. This is what Matthew wants you to see. He's not interested in shepherds. He's not interested in details. He wants you to see. Can we go back to that picture looking at it from Bethlehem? Yeah, yeah, one more. That's what he wants. If, if Matthew could paint a picture of these couple verses of text, he'd say, don't forget, this is where Jesus was born, in the shadow of a mountain of a king of the Jews. And it's beautiful to me that the question that these wise men come with is where is the king of the Jews? Oh, can you, can you catch the art and the poetry that's going on in that simple question? Is he up on top of the mountain? Because that's where we knew to look for a king. That's where everything in us as messed up, bent human beings, that's, that's where we would assume that a king would be in a place of power and domination and opulence Where's the king? He's not there. There's a faker that's hanging out up on top of the hill. But man, this picture, this picture comes from the shanties and the shacks and the caves down below. It's huddled in the shadows amongst the cow crap and the poverty and the teen moms and the terrified blue-collar dads, the folks who have been outcast from their families, the folks cradling, cradling seemingly illegitimate babies and wondering where now they belong. Where is the king of the Jews? This starts to sound more like what we would have expected if we're looking at the Old Testament. 
Matthew wants you to keep reading to see who this Jesus has come to be and where he will end up going. I think that's why he's not painting with so many of the details because it would just give too much away. Because if we, if we would just cheat, and there, I mean, spoiler alert, but we all, you know Christmas. He's not, he's not gonna give it away like Luke does. Luke wants you to see the shepherds, and the shepherds you may know are some of the most outcast, marginalized people. They smell. They hang out with animals all day. They're not welcome. Matthew does paint them with these heathen stargazers. He's on the edge of town physically. He's the greatest gift that the world has ever had, and he's found himself in the greatest place of need. Of course, that's where generosity should be found, in the place where it's needed. But yet it's shocking. Of course, that's where a doctor should be found in the place where people are sick and hurting, but yet it's shocking. Where are the places where we can find this king of the Jews today? Where are you looking for him? As you reflect back on your week, what did you spend time pursuing? King Herod had these things that for him he really reflected in his lifestyle and the things that he chased but it wasn't just him. I mean, so many, and me included, put our vision on things like wealth and power and comfort, and we really believe that that's, that's what life's about. That's what we need to be chasing. I want to be the king of the hill. But I think these wise men for us, man, they really get it because their question of where can he be found really I think we see in this Jesus, there's a generosity towards the poor and the needy. There's service that he just provides to people and how he lives and who he is. And there's this self-sacrifice about him. Where is the king of the Jews? And in a room this size, we're all over the spectrum. Some of us are barely struggling to hold on. Maybe that's because of loneliness or friendships or family or loss. Maybe it's financial Maybe it's a mental health thing or an addiction thing. And to you, I'd say this. Jesus is with you. He's in the midst of the struggle and the pain. It's so often where he chooses, chooses to be. That's where you'll seek him best and find him most. Um, for some of you that, um, that are excelling, in life and really feel like, man, I'm, I'm just doing so great that wealth is there and power is there, that I'm on the rise and I'm confident in life. To you, I'd say this, Jesus is just as present to you as anyone else. And if you're going to see him, it may be hard to find him if you are continuing to look up the ladder of accomplishment, that shallowness that you feel, the antidote is looking into the dark corners of society. That's where he's going to be. He'll be with the hurting. And if you want to experience him, he'll be there. I'm gonna bring out the band because I just wanna name a reality for us that life is not this simple and clean, that you're either in one camp or the other. Most of us today have a bit of both. Places where you would say, I'm suffering, I have need, I'm not well and places where you're doing great. The challenge is 
Which king are we turning to for comfort and for hope? Where are we looking for this king of the Jews, for the king of our own hearts? Is it in more? Is it in comfort? Is it in power? Or are we pulled in this tension of life? Are we decisively seeking him where he said that he'd be? And as you look at the weeks to come, we'll continue to see how this Jesus spends his time, this, the kind of king that he is. We'll see where he goes. If you want to know him and be with him, you want to be paying attention. He's still there today. Now, um, one final note, a final spoiler for today. Jesus distills all of these principles, his kingship, what this means for him, to him, in one simple moment, really in one simple act, in a picture. And Matthew captures it beautifully as a historian and as a storyteller. We've been in chapter one and two. We're at the very front of this book. Man, this is a spoiler, but if you would fast forward all the way to the end, Jesus has posed to his reader this question, where is the king of the Jews? For 28 chapters, I want you to search for him. See where he is at and come to your own conclusion. But for Matthew, he's going to bookend that question with something gorgeous. Jesus is crucified on this cross, and Matthew very carefully records a sign that was nailed above that cross. One of the finale pieces of this story, and this is a, yeah, a rough rendering of what that would have looked like. It was written in Hebrew, and it was written in Greek, and these parts that are circled would be a part where it said a very important phrase. In Latin, the phrase is rex judeorum. This sign, written down in three different languages, just so you couldn't miss it no matter what, said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And where is he? Is he in a mountain, in a fortress, surrounded by opulence and wealth and power? No. He's on a cross. Because we were a people that were surrounded by an enemy, and we were going to be defeated. And Matthew is saying, don't forget the story that he sent someone to comfort you in that place. And that he, he chose to not just be with you, but to be your king. And to be the king he had to be, he had to be the king that we've been waiting for this whole time. The one who cares for you. The one who cares for people. The one who runs to the margins and grabs the outcast and the dirty and the abused and the hopeless and the sick and says, I'm with you here. Just, just in a couple verses, Matthew is painting some beautiful stuff saying, if you want to know the king, if you want to know the kingdom, here's just a few of the initial ingredients I want you to have. This is what he looks like. Um, it's Christmas. And we would be remiss not to go out of here singing a couple Christmas songs. Um, these songs, I want you to know, have been carefully chosen because I want you to see at Christmas time, sometimes these just get mixed in the shuffle of the glitz and the glam, but how clearly these hymns that have been sung for a long time sing so sweetly of this king that has been found. So if you're able, I would invite you to stand and let's sing to this king together. <laughs>